Prize picks is the easiest and most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New Year's is now in the rearview mirror. By now, some of the excitement about our New Year's resolutions may be dying down, much like my excitement for Chelsea Football Club as we get further and further into the season. If you're looking for performance apparel that can help give you the extra push you need to keep up with your health goals, Viore has you covered. Viore creates incredibly versatile and comfortable activewear designed to look great in everyday life in and out of the gym, or in my case, on or off the tennis court. Plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint by offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products, empowering your best active life. With Viore, you can feel good about the things you buy and also how they are made. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash MIB. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash MIB. Not only Will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns? Trust me, go to viore.com slash MIB and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. You're listening to the Men in Blazers Media Network, Suboptimal Radio. Where did the whole thing of the behind-the-back pass... All right, so I'm going to show you something. Right <laughs> right. You want to take a throw-in, right? right. Okay, you're going to take the throw. I'm going to take the throw. So I throw it like that. So you're using the bounce to exactly, inertia to Exactly, exactly. Instead of them having to go like that. Yeah, and, so. so now you go like that, and it's right there. From the Men in Blazers studios in the crap part of Soho and the crap part of Bedford, New York, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. We back like Kevin Durant on TikTok and... We pod one week away from the return of Premier League football into our beautiful lives with the Community Shield, Dave the big one. How did yeah. you spend your last Premier League Baron weekend? Uh, I drove uh, 580 miles round trip to uh, drop off uh, my son George at soccer camp uh, in Mercersburg, Pennsylvania. Met some GFOPs out there, Rog. Uh, that was it. That was my last Premier League weekend. It was just in my car, driving through the heartland, driving through America, Rog. But I spent the weekend watching and then re-watching and then re-watching, watching, re-Greg Berhalter's appearance on Alexi Lalas's podcast. I don't know if you saw it, Dave. <laughs> and oh, oh, yes, I saw it. Come for the Revolutionary War bants, but stick around for Greg's in-depth explanation about the philosophy behind his bounce pass addiction. Huge credit to Detective, Chief Detective Inspector Alexi Lalas for really solving this mystery. Essentially, if you've not seen it, it is on um, our Instagram. Mm. <laughs> yeah. What's that is the on? mystery solved? Is the mystery really <laughs> solved? I have so much to see. I've also watched it a thousand times. It was, this was sent to me by about 35 people, including by you, with, have you watched this, Davo? Question mark, question mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Uh, yeah, it is quite a piece of theatre. If you've not seen it, it's up on our Instagram, and it's it's one of those, it's one of those 
moments. I guess the equivalent would be if we lived in medieval times and someone rode in on a huge uh, horse and cart with an elixir that promised to allow you to live forever. And you're like, hmm, is this science or is this just a medicine man that we should dismiss and send him on our way? Essentially, Greg, when challenged by Chief Inspector Detective Alexi Lalas um, about why he has got this addiction to bounce passing the ball back to his often startled players when it comes into his vicinity. I mean, not just in his vicinity, he moves aggressively towards the ball. He's, he's like, he's like in it. And he explained as if the question was like, why are we even asking? Isn't it evident uh, to have a quicker opportunity by a fraction of a millisecond <laughs> to enable the ball? Because it's rising off a bounce pass and it wouldn't if I just yeah. toss it to them. It allows them by a millisecond to get that ball back behind their head and then fling it right back into play. And we will, for the sake of this conversation, Davo, we will conveniently forget that Greg does the bounce pass Yes, Does, to opponents to, as well. Yes, to both his own players. <laughs> I know, that's a, this is my point number one. <laughs> Does it? He doesn't do opposing teams there. Who are like, yeah, completely bemused slash shocked yeah. slash confused in the moment. But what do you make of it? Because it, <laughs> it, it needs conversation. Because well, the stakes hmm. are high on whether this is a stroke of competitive advantage seeking genius, or or we're being led by a start raving madman. Yeah, I mean, interesting that Alexi Lalas chose to devote what felt like an hour and a half to this topic. There must be some reason he feels that there have been too many haters, a little bit too much criticism. So he wanted to give Greg his like moment in the sun to explain and also to demonstrate as he walked around in his cool T-shirt and no doubt cool sneakers, I didn't notice them, uh, how he does various versions of this thing. Yeah, and by the uh, way, the I, I, want, the no look. I want respect Lalas in this situ. I think Lalas in this situ, as is often the case with Lalas, Lalas is a big believer in just adding to the storehouse <laughs> of knowledge. But yeah, the fatal flaw in the argument is that, you know, and we've got to say Alexi was a very willing participant in this, illustrating what happens if you just pass Mad the ball key. to someone. They have to go to all the effort of lifting their arms above their head to make a throw in. Yeah, if you just toss it Whoa, like a sandwich. Too much effort. Yeah. Too much effort. Yeah. Whereas if you bounce it, you, you can take it and immediately the inertia of the ball, I think that was the word that was used, the inertia, <laughs> raise it almost the ball. You don't even have to raise your hands. The ball itself will raise your hands over your head yep. and do the first part of the job for you. Yep. <laughs> By the way, there is a, there's a rationale in this that ultimately, I'm not saying it would make the cover of Science Today magazine, but I'm not saying it wouldn't kind of make the front of the book a small article, probably commissioned 150 words about yeah. great advances in, in football technology. Yeah, popular mechanics. But when I watched this clip, I did think this, that so much <laughs> of football is judged retroactively. And if Greg does well at the World Cup, and by well, I mean essentially gets us out of the group stage. Oh, I thought it was it made a lot of bounce passes, I thought you were saying. You actually mean to do with the game on the field. Yeah, okay. there are, you know, the things, uh, what they called the R were results. It, yeah. it, he'll be hailed as a coach to watch for the future. And if he fails, he'll be <laughs> lampooned as a dude who went 
down with the ship, leaving just the memory of his bounce passes and his, his misemphasised yeah. sneaker hype beastery for us ever to have known he was there at all. So not on the Alexi Lalas podcast, Rog. What, you think he'll forever be a guest in bounce passes today? Whatever happens, it's going to be a great result. <sighs> this bounce pass affectation is really ultimately going to be a symbol of, well, two things. If, it, if I left and I was like, oh my God, if this man has put this kind of analytical level of thinking into every single aspect of the game. He's essentially taken apart the machine of football as we know it, Davo, and just asked questions about everything and look for the margins, the percentage advantages, almost every aspect. I'm like, oh my God, this man is a super brain. Stay with me here. And if this throw-in thing is just the tip of the iceberg... We're going to win the World Cup, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows? I mean, I'm not sure that this throwing thing, as you so beautifully put it, has anything to do with uh, the US's results or uh, ability or potential. Um, it seems to be a major sideshow. And maybe that is what he's trying yes. to do, is creating this sideshow, taking the pressure off his players. And it, this seemed to be a ludicrous... Um, uh, exercise in justifying why he did it. I can't believe that this was done not tongue-in-cheek. I can't believe that he really believes that what he's doing is setting up his players and his opponents' players uh, faster. There is that possibility that it's a surreal piece of theatre that Greg is ultimately having fun at our expense, like Andy Kaufman, uh, that kind of surreal slapstick comedy that just like almost mocked and derided the audience. There is a possibility, that's a third way, that Greg is essentially an avant-garde um, fringe festival comedian and should be headlining Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Festival um, this summer. That is something I'm going to table for now. Um, but by the way, I love your your, your notion, this uh, throw-in thing. Acronym TIT. I can imagine him <laughs> in the chain of camp just saying like, okay, guys, we're going to unleash TIT at every opportunity today. That's what's yeah, going to carry us through. In. The T-TIT. How do we get to conquer calf with TIT? Um, but on the <laughs> other hand, if this is the dark side, if this is pretty much the entirety of our tactical competitive advantage, TIT, then we are so effed. <laughs> I don't I don't know I think Greg is still on the, within the world maybe we just ought to view the whole thing through the eyes of the Alexi Lalas podcast Rog when Greg is the coolest human in the universe the fact that he does his throwing thing is genius it's advanced level stats thinking tit is masterwork of uh, of tactics and uh, you know everything's going to be wonderful whatever happens it might change the game if honestly we yeah. get out of the group and other coaches because coaching is very much a copycat um, reactive thing we will be laughing on the other side of our face if like come <laughs> the Premier League next season every single coach Jurgen Klopp executing tit he'll call it dirt tit Thomas Tuchel will put his own spin on it double T tit yeah. I mean yeah. everyone who very defensive tit it'll be just like every single bloody car even Carlo Ancelotti is like putting in you know the hours in the gym so that he can get to that ball quicker to execute his own kind gonna be bounce passing it in off his half eight half raised eyebrow you know, there's been a lot of debate about throw-ins at FIFA. Arsene Wenger wants to abolish the throw-in. Yeah. Maybe Greg is just a throw-in proponent and he's trying to bring more excitement to it to sort of to sort of push back the haters like Arsene. And maybe there's just going to be a compulsory bounce pass from 
you know, the, the, you know, your team's coach to start off the whole oh, move. Sent- to get it going, Rod, with some inertia. You know when Dunks came into basketball, I think it was George yeah. Wakem was it, who started to play above the rim. And a lot of people thought that was just an unfair advantage because before that, basketball was just a game of kind of squat little guys doing set shots. And when people started to learn how to dunk, a lot of people cried it unfair and unfair advantage. Maybe Arsene Wenger is similarly ahead of the curve. He already knows that Tit is going to change the game in an unfair way. And he <laughs> He's proposing kick-ins instead of throw-ins to try and diminish the extreme advantage that is tit. I am fascinated by this, but I do, however, believe, despite <laughs> this reality, that perhaps the best World Cup news this weekend came out of Iran, not of America. Um, remember, Iran will meet them in our final group game, currently a squad in disarray. This is the great news. After their manager, Dragon Skowich, was given the boot and then reinstated... There's a rift between the younger players who Skiwich has brought on and the more experienced players who try to oust him has been revealed. We love fishers in the Iran camp, don't we, David? Yeah, although I fear that Iran also loves fishers in the Iran camp. It's where they play their best football. This might be the best thing that happens to our US team in the next four months. So let's celebrate it like a victory, Dave. Gareth Bale is going to be exhausted by MLS coach class by the time Qatar comes around. England, possibly not the England of our imagination. Perhaps one too many Gareth Southgate cycles, Dave. Nothing can stop us now. Okay, big news from Men in Blazers World Headquarters, Rog. We are taking Men in Blazers Do It Live to AMP. Most of you will remember that every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, last Premier League season, we would do a live broadcast, often coming right off a Premier League midweek game, Champions League tilt and the occasional US Men's National Team game. We are taking those broadcasts to AMP now. That's a live radio app that you can download right onto your phone. Listen to us live, and this is the best bit, Rog. Get involved and hear yourself on the show. Just the community of GFOPs who join us, hop on, um, ask us the hardest, best questions they can. And we've always viewed from the very beginning Men in Blazers as a three-way conversation between me, uh, Davo, and the GFOP listening community. And AMP allows us to do just that in every regard. Davo, tell the people how they can get involved. Yeah, all you have to do is search AMP. It's part of Amazon, actually. That's AMP in the App Store. Download the app, which is free, and then just follow us at Men in Blazers. Same handle as all of our social. Make sure you follow us for reminders about when we go live. Our first broadcast is scheduled for next week, Wednesday, August 3rd, at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. If that's not a reason for a toast, I don't know what is. Oh, what a raise. My third first bird of the day to two truly magical teams in their inaugural seasons in the United States who have created models filled with joy and wonder and really given us all immense hope for the future growth and the future values of football in this nation. First, Vermont Green FC, a new USL League Two team based in the truly beautiful town of Burlington, founded by six football-loving mates. They launched a club earlier this year with a mission of embedding environmental justice into, well, pretty well everything they do on the field and off it. They have created a delirious fan culture, an incredible brand, and all of it is authentic and deeply local and utterly, utterly kinetic. You watch their fan base and you just want to jump in a car, drive right up to Vermont and revel in it all for yourself, which is really everything that's great about football. And on Friday night, 
in the playoffs despite playing much of the second half with 10 gents. They handed top-seeded Lionsbridge FC their first defeat of the season. 2-1. First round of the US Under League 2 Eastern Conference playoffs. Come on, Vermont Green. They now face the Long Island Rough Riders. I think Emma wow. Hayes used to coach their women's team of New York. And my Lord God, speed to them. And two, Minnesota Aurora, a community-owned, women-led team based in a truly fanatical footballing region who came together when undefeated all season. Again, a fantastic fan base who followed and packed and sold out game after sold out game. They went on the march Saturday night's USLW Championship game against the South Georgia Tormentor. Game deadlock 1-1 at full-time. Aurora goalkeeper, one-time kicker. Sarah Fuller just going full Tim Howard and down the stretch. Oh, she was magnificent, but Tormentor nicked it in overtime. It is some first season where your only loss comes in your championship game. But that model of the team, the leadership, the fan passion, the joy that stands out and blows me away. I raise my glass to more for them. And for Vermont FC and all those who are building fan-driven models of football at our grassroots, that is how we'll truly thrive as a proper football nation. Courage. Oh, I love your passion for the grassroots soccer in uh, the United States of America, Rog. Okay, to uh, the Premier League football or Premier League preseason football with my club in my former hometown, Rog, competing for your favourite trophy, Chelsea getting absolutely battered by Arsenal in the Jam Lando, Orlando humidity, losing the Florida Cup. Did they not know how seriously taken the Florida Cup is in worldwide soccer circles by a score of 4-0? Goals from Gabriel Jesus, Martin Odegaard, Bukayo Saka and Albert Lokanga complete a comprehensive drubbing. Chelsea in crisis, 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 to lose any final is crushing <laughs> but to be thrashed smashed schooled by arsenal football club in the florida cup davo that one after losing on penalties to charlotte fc there is no bottom you know the florida cup davo do you think they they knew that to win it is a trap is that what they did is that why they decided Maybe. not to uh, to really well, they didn't down tools. They didn't really up them to begin with, did they? Yeah. No, they seem still very uh, excited or exhausted uh, from their experience at Universal Studios Hollywood, Rog. I yeah, mean, it was that's a... the important part of training. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was bizarre. Um, you know, any game against Arsenal Football Club, I don't care that it's preseason because a lot of people are going to say it's preseason. What does preseason football really matter? Do you remember uh, certain Jose Mourinho... Uh, the last time Chelsea had an appalling preseason, I think it was 2015. It he was. said, "Oh, preseason, preseason doesn't matter at all." And then they were, he went on and get fired in December after they were something like 16th or 15th place in the league. They lost nine games um, out of their first 16, I think, and just the Diego Costa bib started to fly at him on the bench. Mm. That is that, that you'd won the title. Um, the season before, the parallel, I mean, Tuchel, we should say, is not Mourinho. The parallel um, is incredibly eerie, Davo. But, I mean, how do you understand it? Because this game, uh, yes, Arsenal confident. They took 2-0 lead. 
uh, with goals, almost inevitable Gabriel Jesus and a truly game Martin Odegaard. Fantastic performance. Bukayo Saka finished from DCL range and then Lekonga finished a route late, late, late on. Huge crowd, 64,000 in Orlando. Honestly, could have been so much more for Arsenal Football Club. Odegaard was such a boss. What a season he has ahead of him. Arsenal looking very much in the shape of Arteta's vision, movement, pace and predictability in the final third. We'll talk about them in a moment. But your Chelsea, Davo, what's going on in your analysis? Well, it's interesting, right? You just said that the Arsenal playing within the shape uh, of Arteta's vision. This is a Thomas Tuchel team that lined up 4-3-3 with four defenders rather than five and one holding midfielder in Jorginho. So he was playing a very, very different lineup against a team he knows are going to come all out and play that attacking Arteta-style Arsenal football. Um, And it was just, yes, they came out with very little passion. Yes, they came out with very little energy, but they came out in a shape that that was strange. You know, part of me was thinking, is Tuchel just trying to send a signal to Todd Burley to say, you know what, I need more players, I need more help? Because it was a very un-Thomas Tuchel lineup, um, you know, formation that he sent out there. And look, Tuchel is a, has been a fantastic defensive coach. And, and the way he sort of righted the Chelsea ship was really with defense. They just stopped conceding goals. He, you know, put in that, you know, three-man central defense, you know, two wing backs who, who get forward selectively, a double pivot in midfield, and he locked it all down in midfield. And but there have always been questions ever since Sukal arrived at the club about his ability to get his offensive players uh, working in the right way. And right now, it's very tough to figure out what he's trying to get going offensively because none of the players seem to be playing in the position that suits them. None of them seem to be communicating with each other particularly well. Um, you know, I thought Sterling, actually, I will give him an asterisk because I thought he actually had a very, very good preseason for Chelsea when he played. But it was a... Um, yeah, it's shocking, and I think it's worrying, and certainly worrying for many Chelsea fans, including myself. I mean, it's a wild reality. You talk about that backline. Uh, Thomas Tuchel spending a lot of preseason experimenting with a back four, um, a lack of steel in the midfield, that front three shifting, sifting through the combinations, looking for some kind of well, anything, life. That the first front three, Raz Mount and Havertz, still. Uh, looking far from gelling, so much deadwood in the squad. You know, there's an argument out there. You could pick like Callum Hudson, Adoy, uh, Bats, Kennedy, uh, Baba Rahman, Ross Barkley, Ruben Loftus Cheek, and, and all of them um, could be moved on. To have that kind of dead weight around your club, around your locker room, it just sucks you backwards. Um, but Tuchel, the, the fascinating thing is watching him in this moment, he really is sounding the four alarm fire, exasperated. Uh, we got beaten by a team that does not play Champions League football was his intentional quote. He knew that would be the pull quote that was the headline of every article, then brief the press um, really to in a way that he knew Chelsea fans wouldn't want to hear, can't really stomach that we will not be ready for the first Premier League game of the season in less than two weeks. Everton fans, oh, please, God, let that be true, that we need more signings to become competitive, really venting fury at the lack of incoming players with Barcelona somehow furiously (laughs) printing money um, in their own garage and seemingly gazumping Chelsea to every target. It is a wild time, but it seems with these briefings, Davo, 
that Tuchel is trying to pin all of this, either message it to Bowley or pin all of this yeah. from a fan perspective on Bowley. How do you understand and handicap that? Yeah, I thought that was exactly what was happening. Um, and I think some of it to his players as well, Rog. And he did also talk about, you know, the players being distracted. And, um, you know, certainly there are a number of players, not only the, the Deadwood, but they're also the want-away players, the players that have been highly distracted and been linked to moves away from the club. Um, and I think there are some messages being sent to them as well. Um, and that's, you know, one of them is, is of course, Christian Pulisic. Another one is, is, is you know, Cesar Spilicueta. You know, there is definitely some players who have been distracted, you know, somewhat during, during the off-season. I think the bigger thing, though, is, you know, I was at my, uh, you know, good morning football this morning, and they were talking about the, uh, the Raiders and, you know, how, you know, McDaniel's come in and what his genius is as a coach is he will, he will look at the offensive players he has and he will, he will, he will build an offense that will work with the available players. I think the thing that Tuchel's got to look a little bit in the mirror and think about himself is he's got to build an offense that works for his available players. And that is something he has absolutely not done since he started at the club. And, you know, watching poor Kai Havertz, like, toil around in the, in the you know, number nine role, uh, watching Timo Werner, who just becomes a sadder and sadder uh, sight and sort of lacking so much confidence with so little space to run with the ball. It just is, uh, it's just difficult. Difficult. Timo is, I think the adjective is Fernando Torresian. Uh, that's like his level of confidence just standing on the field, just in a puddle of his own self-confidence. But this bully transition, especially the way he's handling it, talking to people in football, Todd is inserting himself into every single dealing, every meeting. You know, his learning curve is so bloody steep. If there's a meeting with the janitorial staff about the whether it should be two-ply or three-ply toilet roll and the exact, he's there. Let me hear about how you do your job. I mean, how does the addition of the third-ply uh, improve our throw-ins? But he's undoubtedly, with this kind of inserting himself in this late stage, creating a bottleneck really a bottleneck on the necessary change in terms of incoming bodies. And I've been told, assured, Bowley is super, super smart, which is great news for Chelsea fans. I've also been told that he's a very, very controlling decision maker. And when you look at that combination, it does make you think that the season start is coming about a month too soon. And this is going to be almost... The, the, the Bowley here is going to have a, what do you call it, a soft launch, Dave, a beta test. Yeah. Uh, of, the, of the start to the season. Well, he's also a man of considerable pride and it must be difficult for him, you know, showing all of his billionaire friends from his lair or his yacht or his ski lodge or whatever he's got, his rocket ship. I think it's a um, ski lodge on a helicopter that's parked <laughs> on an enormous super yacht. It could be. But he's showing all of his, his other billionaire friends this new thing he's bought and it must have been a little embarrassing to watch them being defeated 4-0 Um by a team owned by a man who doesn't even know he owns that team. So it's a, uh, this, he, he's got to be spurred into action somehow. I wonder who are the executives at the club who are actually very involved in the transfer to dealings, very involved in the transfer dealings below him. You know, there's no Czech, there's no Granaskaya, there's no one, you know, there's, there's no one there. Who he's bought in is, is, you know, they're much more specialists in the sort of commercial operations of the club, not really within player decisions. So I think it's going to take a while and it might not be within this 
transfer window. But there is plenty of talent at Chelsea, Rodge. You can't tell me that there isn't a lot of talent there. And I think Tuchel is going to now really have to, you know, earn his considerable paycheck figuring out how to deploy them. I feel for Tuchel. I've got to be candid. Dude is, is in the process of going through a divorce off the field. He's just experienced with the death rattle of the Abramovich era, the kind of surreal season with geopolitics just warping the plans of his campaign in a way really few managers have ever experienced before. And now this, and so much falls onto his shoulders. Uh, I mean, he's the obvious scapegoat if things do go wrong. Uh, you, you're right to harken back to 2015. Uh, Mourinho was in America uh, even on that preseason tour, lost to New York Red Bulls. I think Tyler Adams scored that day. Yeah, he did. Uh, that's where he declared preseason is fake. I think a couple of days after um, after being interviewed by me, and then you and I did a, uh, the uh, the old coin toss before they played Barcelona down in DC. Maybe oh the, maybe God, we yeah. ended Jose and Tuchel is not Mourinho, but the parallel is eerie, and I feel for him especially with ex-managers Frank Lampard and Antonio Conte coming face-to-face in his first two games of the season. So just three points available there. But we've, we really do need to move back to Arsenal bloody football club because, my God, what a fantastic energy. What a, what a good vibe of a pre-season, a very different energy. Not only beat Chelsea 4-0 on Saturday night in Orlando, but they won... The bloody Florida Cup, Davo. I mean, consigning themselves in the process to a season's worth of Florida Cup gags. <sighs> what do you think, Dave? I mean, is that not one of the biggest achievements? Where does that rank in terms of Arsenal achievements in their history? Florida Cup against the Invincibles? It's close. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll bring a little dose of reality to it, of course, uh, none whatsoever. Comedically, it's wonderful, though. It's, it's right up there comedically. <laughs> uh, look, I mean, I think Arsenal looked really good. And it's, you know, look, they're not going to be, you know, they're going to face much stiffer competition in the Premier League when it starts for, uh, for reals. Uh, even from Chelsea, I imagine, when they play Chelsea in the Premier League, it'll be a, it'll be a tougher game. But... Um, you know, Arsenal playing with that speed, with that incision, and a number of very significant players just playing superb football. And, you know, none more than Jesus, who what an amazing addition to that team. You know, Odegaard controlling everything on the field. And I must say, though, you know, we all want to see Matt Turner get a get a bunch of minutes. I just thought Ramsdale was just, you know, extraordinary as well. I gotta say, I love the pickup of Zinchenko. Uh, I wanted him to come to Everton when he was rumoured. Um, earlier in this off-season. He was never coming to Everton Football Club, but what a technically versatile player. Five years at City, won nine trophies, and you kind of feel that the the narrow niche role that Pep kind of contained him or, or, or repressed him into, he's going to want to assert himself and prove that he can start and thrive and lead and win. And he looked on Saturday... Honestly, like he's played for Arsenal forever, which has been one of the most encouraging hallmarks of this Arsenal transfer window. Almost every bloody player who's come in has slipped right in, especially Jesus, as you mentioned. What a pre-season he's had. What a raising of Arsenal fans' hopes to 11. Should they be at 11, David? Because I am am bullish. I am bullish, joyously bullish, because Arsenal fans, you bloody deserve this. I am bullish about Arsenal Football Club. 
Yeah, I think they look pretty solid at the back. You know, thought Ben White, you know, was great. It's tough. This is preseason. Chelsea were terrible. Let's read too much Honestly, into it. Terrible. Um, but, you know, there is a, you know, we always say progress is not a straight line. There's sort of a jagged line. And there certainly were some setbacks the way that Arsenal, Arsenal didn't finish the season as strongly as I know that they wanted to. Um, and they lost out to their, their, their bitter North London rivals, Tottenham, you know, for that final Champions League spot. But, you know, I think Arsenal look very good, as do Tottenham look very good. We're going to get to Man United. They look very good. Those three teams all look improved from last season. Chelsea look a lot worse. I imagine Man City and Liverpool is going to be more of the same. So it seems to be, if you look at the sort of the tectonic plates of preseason, those seem to be the realities. And Arsenal definitely seem to be a stock that you'd want to buy right now. I can see a top four finish for Arsenal Football Club. This Arsenal, two and a half years into Arteta. Really, we're approaching make or break time. And the difference between now and last season when you handicap their prospects is that with, I would say, a, a serious investment and a strategic investment, I think really a fine recruiting window, the pickups are the likes of Vieira, who we've not mentioned, the return of Saliba, yeah. is there's a real squad here, as opposed to last season where they had a very strong first 11. But as that season wore on, the quality just dropped off a cliff, you know, number 12 onwards. And right now, Arsenal fans, just savour everything. It's that feeling that you have right now. It's why we watch. And in that vein, shout out to Matt Turner. Talk about living the dream. LTD, Florida Cup champion. I bet never in his wildest dreams <laughs> as a kid, Davey. Do you think when he grew up in... Oh, in New Jersey, did he, his little Matt Turner, did he say to himself, Mum, Dad, one day these hands are going to get onto the bloody Florida Cup. But he did it. Yeah, I'm sorry, as a young child, when he visited Florida over spring break, he might have turned to his parents and said, one day I'll return with the trophy of this state. Yes. I love that. One day, Mum and Dad, behold, there will be a very <laughs> coveted trophy forged out of this very state. And I, Matthew Turner, will win it. Let history show that on Saturday, 23rd, July 2022, Anno Domini, Matthew Turner... I might cry here, became the first American in our nation's history ever to lift the prestigious trophy, the Florida Cup. And you know what they say? And by they, I mean Tom Davis. Even if Arsenal go on to win the league this season, quite a big even, nothing will top that Florida Cup feeling. You would know, Rod. You would know. By the way, we had a German fan on Twitter when I tweeted that out. He wrote... Is it really that important? I can't even <laughs> name a single team that has won it before. I was just like, if you know, you know. Price Picks is the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states across the country, including so many of my favorites, California, Texas, and Georgia. Godspeed, Georgia. I'm hungry for a dozen lemon pepper wet. But back to Price Picks. We've been hearing from so many WGFOPs who are loving double P. Pablo Picasso, Price Picks, which allows them to win up to 25 times their money for the soccer season, is a reason I do appreciate Price Picks because it's simple. 
During the Premier League match days, I've got roughly 239 tabs on my computer open as we attempt to work out our social media, the pod rundown, the upcoming interview. You get the drift. But because price picks is easy to play, I'm not having to constantly click to see how my gents are doing or how many certain actions are worth. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and you place your entry. That is how easy it can be. You also mix and match players from several leagues across the globe. Luca De La Torre, I'm looking at you, as well as other sports like basketball oh, and hockey. Oh, the Capitals. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. It's promo code MIB. Prize picks. Pick more or pick less. It's that easy. It's Rog here to tell you about a product that I simply adore. It's been a long time staple in the Bennett refrigerator, Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. Always bold, always smooth. Yes, that is the very same Stoke as in the mighty Wrexham Fortress, known as the Stoke Kairas or the Stoke Racecourse, Wrexham AFC's home. They support it. They support football, which is just one great reason to love this coffee. It is my go-to enjoy during the football calendar, essentially the opposite of Everton. And you can check out their full lineup of 48 ounce cold brew products, something for everybody from light to dark roast to seasonal favourites in a refrigerated multi-serve format. I tell you this, as someone whose blood type is now officially Stoke Espresso Blend, have the coffee house experience in the comfort of your own home and do it now. Stoke Cold Brew Coffee and be sure to follow Wrexham AFC. Big love to all at Stoke. Courage. Okay, Rog, now to the Badger State, Green Bay, Wisconsin, where Manchester City defeated Bayern Munich 1-0 thanks to a 12th-minute goal from a a new signing. Seems to have a little bit of potential, a young uh, Norwegian named Erling Haaland. He's one to watch. Nearly 80,000 fans in Green Bay to watch the first-ever game at Lambeau Field, Manchester City versus Bayern Munich. And God bless the local newscast that we posted on our Instagram, who led a report breathlessly from outside the stadium by saying, turns out there are many more soccer fans in Wisconsin than you probably thought. Hmm. Yeah, a couple. Yeah, God bless. And I felt for them, all of them, because it was a weather-inflected old night in Wisconsin. Lightning kept hitting the area. No doubt drawn to all the metallic lightning conductor qualities of Pep's robotic overlords. And City don't play that many preseason games. Pep is not a big believer in them. So this would have definitely the stop-start nature, having to on and off the field, just replace uh, starters to prevent injury, uh, probably would have pissed Pep off something wicked, but there wasn't enough football to watch. Erling Haaland make his Manchester City debut. The 22-year-old Norwegian, they did just 12 minutes to score his first in a light blue shirt, David. He'll score better goals uh, for Manchester City, but he'll be happy to get off the mark, even with the preseason uh, asterisk. And... You know, just his movement, his strength throughout the entire game. He just looked unstoppable. Wrapped home across from Mrs. Grealish, 69's favourite player. That Nordic meat shield resisted the urge to do the Lambo leap, which made me feel very sad. But watching him score so powerfully, so clinically, so predictably, it was really like watching that Moscow chess-playing robot snap the finger of his seven-year-old opponent during a game this weekend, Dave. You do get the <laughs> feeling, watching Haaland, that mere humans stand no chance against this autonomous cyborg, right? 
and seems to be striking up a great relationship with his teammates, particularly with Jack Grealish. It's like a, it's like a new version of the... It's like an international frat house, Rog. Lads! You know, interesting <laughs> statistic I saw this week, Davo. Pep Guardiola has spent a billion pounds, $1.2 billion since arriving at Manchester City. And the only original player from the entire squad he had that day upon his arrival that he's kept. Who? KDB. Wow. Yeah, not a bad one to keep. Even Joe Hart didn't make the cut. Okay, from the defending champs to the runners-up last season, Liverpool Football Club, they're coming off a 5-0 beatdown over Erbe Leipzig, in which Uruguayan new boy Darwin Nunes delivered a message to the haters, scoring four times. Yeah, this is what has passed as news during Liverpool's pre-season. You know, the headline after headline, Jurgen Klopp has had to step in and defend Darwin Nunes after the 102 million Liverpool record signing blasted high and wide over an open goal against Manchester United. You know, by those excellent footballing analysts and scouts who have surplus time to participate in Twitter bants, the Uruguayan was quickly deemed to be a, quote, total bust. I mean, dude had blisters, apparently, throughout that game. A reminder, by the way, quite a quick segue of a life truth that I truly believe in. Whenever I meet someone who is inexplicably rude or weird when I encounter them, you know, when I'm traveling or at an airport or at a gas station, whatever... I do try and give them a break because I do realise, unbeknownst to me, whoever that is may be suffering from, let's say, a septic boil on their arse or something like that. And when I heard that Darwin Nunes got blisters story, I was like, yeah, septic boil on his arse, the equivalent of, give him a break. But anyway, at the end of last week, Nunes proved he might not be so terrible at football after all. Blasted four goals in 45 minutes of football, the entirety of Everton Football Club over the course of three preseason games. That's all we bloody managed. He did it effortlessly as a red smashed RB Leipzig 5 0. Davo, can't we even experience a single moment of Schadenfreude about Liverpool this season anymore? Are we going to remember those? those seasons when we could save uh, at least something going wrong for Liverpool Football Club as the good old days. They found a good one in Darwin Nunes, focal point for their attack, a player who, you know, the other players seem to love playing around, um, a player who is going to be, even at Liverpool Football Club, is going to be, you know, just a little under the radar, supported by so many great players around him. Uh, I think he's going to be extraordinary. I do too. Uh, despite that, Jurgen Klopp gained some headlines by giving a spoiler alert to how this season is going to end up. And if you don't want to know how the season is going to end up, just turn down your pod radio for one second because Jurgen Klopp declared, it looks like City in the end will be the champion. He said if we hadn't been the champion, he means the season Liverpool won that asterisk title. He said, I think City would have won it five or six times in a row, which is really crazy in this country. Quite a quote, Davo, which has been decried by Man City fans as defeatist. But uh, mind games much, Davo? Yeah, I mean, trying to take the pressure off his club, um, you know, could end up being true. I mean, you're a specialist in this, Rod. You do it all the time. You... You predict losses in order to make yourself feel better when your team scrape a draw or get a win, or even if the loss <laughs> isn't as bad as you predicted it would be. So, yeah, I I think it's I can't stand it when when uh, teams do this. I think that the point of professional sports is winning, and he should be setting out and creating no doubt in the mind of his players and his fans that he's setting out to win the Premier League this year. It sounded too defeatist. What is going to stop Manchester City? Really, is the league question going into this season? 
And the only thing I can think of is that City are chasing a third consecutive title, which just the notion of that is almost absurd. It's something that's not been done since Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson did it between 2007-2009. But he did it in a less competitive time. He did it in a time when Manchester United, their commercial financial model, gave them the balance sheet advantage salary-wise that City now have. And it's possibly that which Klopp is already hinting to which he believes will power them to glory. We will see. But talking to United. Switching hemispheres now, heading to Oz, where Man United, always a Southern Hemisphere team, Rod, drew with Aston Villa 2-2 this weekend in a rainy Perth, Western Australia. WA, some reason for cautious optimism for United fans? Good news, Manchester United fans undefeated in pre-season. Three wins, one draw. And of course, they had a two-week summer tour of Thailand and Australia, ending in a 2-2 tie with Aston Villa, which saw some of the fine, proactive, attacking, collective play that Ten Hag has already inculcated, but also the defensive vulnerability still evident, especially on set pieces, which let Stevie G's mob come back from two goals down and left Eric banging his head and decrying the lack of focus. But man, looking at him, just seeing him in his press conferences, his demeanour, he looks he looks something we've not seen in a Manchester United manager in a long time. He has both self-respect, vision, and strategy. It's very clear that he is utterly in control, Dave, which which is honestly progress. Yeah, dropping players who don't arrive at team meetings on time, like, you know, lashing out the discipline all over the place. Um, seems super confident. Now this is easier where results are going your way, which they have mostly done in pre-season. But he seems to have found something, Rog, certainly up front with a new front three combination of uh, Rashford, Sancho, and a reborn Anthony Martial. He is risen. The transfer dealings, though, have been slightly less strategic. United have been involved in a public and fairly debilitating tug of war with Barcelona over Frankie de Jong, who either doesn't want to leave Barca because their slightly dodgy finance department owes him a ton of cash, or he just doesn't want to join United, preferring Bayern or even Chelsea. But that's small fries compared to the Ronaldo situ, which is still dragging on and Lord knows what is happening in the situation room at Camp Ron Ron as they survey (laughs) the seemingly fewer and fewer options that the 37-year-old has to both leave Old Trafford permanently and get picked up by a Champions League team which is stated intention and worse in missing all of United's pre-season training so far Ronaldo is already four weeks behind those who've already returned to training at the end of last month how do you (laughs) handicap it up? Camp Ron Ron, Rog, which I imagine is 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 somewhere between the Bravo Clubhouse and your local Equinox. It's a it, it's a pretty good place though for him to be preparing. I, I'm not worried about Ronaldo being in in playing shape. I think he's going to be in better shape than all of his teammates. But yes, the longer this goes on, the odder it is, the more of a distraction it is. Um, I can't believe, and this is even as someone who always says possession is nine tenths of the law. I cannot believe that we're going to see Cristiano Ronaldo playing a Manchester United shirt again. Perhaps the most surreal storyline of Manchester United's entire pre-season has been the spectacle of watching the club captain, Harry Maguire, being booed by his own fans before a ball has even been kicked in an official match this season. He was booed 
at least 18 separate occasions by United supporters during the 3-1 win over Crystal Palace in Melbourne. Honestly, at times, football is so delirious. At times, Davo, it can feel like a cruel blood sport. I mean, this is just the extension of Twitter bans and social media memes and, and everything that's come to football. You know, I find myself every now and then missing the times when we would just read about the results of preseason in the newspaper. The last thing that we were ever going to do is actually see any of the games. And uh, I think what's happening with Harry Maguire is sad and sort of pathetic. I can't stand it. I thought you were going to say that you feel almost nostalgic for the time when fans would just go to games so they could beat the crap out of each other rather yeah, than rather than just <laughs> utterly violate their own footballers. You know, footballers are human to people. I think Ten Hag said that when Maguire performs, the booze will stop. United travel to Brentford in their first game of the season, before hosting in their first big test of the season, 23rd of August, Liverpool Football Club in the true, true big one. Pre-season fan punch-up, so Dave, oh God, that is, that is proper football, getting into playing shape when the real rucks start. Uh, can we get an update, by the way, talking of rucks, Piffcastle, Rog, who are still running around attempting to hoover up remaining Premier League talent? Yeah, they are linked to just about everyone. Broha, Jackie Harrison, Anthony Gordon, Tealmans. I think they're coming in for Arlo White, but they've just brought in <laughs> only Sven Botman as a major arrival. Surely more to come for Eddie Howe. And I raise this issue mostly because we had a really thoughtful, beautiful raven from a GFOP, Jordan Williams, this week, Davo, um, who wrote the following. Rog and Davo, I write to you from perpetually hot and sticky New Orleans with a conundrum. I have painfully but faithfully supported Newcastle for over a decade and I'm struggling over my own allegiances following the Saudi PIF takeover, despite the club's impending success. However, my nearly four-months-old son, Isaac, is a clean slate. <laughs> do I push him towards a more palatable club like Brentford or Leeds? Or do I let him follow me into the morally murky waters of supporting a club backed by gangsters in royal robes? Thanks and courage, Jordan. P.S. Rog, thanks for all the kind words you had for our fair city after your visit. Oh, Jordan, I do adore New Orleans and cannot wait to be back there this fall. I love the possibility, I should say, that you are poised to get a USL team in that incredible city, which would be the best thing to happen to football in New Orleans since Larry Nance Jr. arrived. How do you, what would your advice be? We, we kind of had this question a couple of times last season as Newcastle fans grapple with a deeply, deeply complex, morally complex, personally complex, emotionally complex dilemma, David. What would your, what would your advice be? The problem is this, the idea of the more palatable club. They are more palatable until they get taken over by, by a nation state or some, um, some, you know, uh, questionable uh, arms dealer, whoever buys those teams. And so right now, I know Leeds are going to be very fashionable for a lot of American fans because of, you know, Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson and, uh, of course, Jesse Marsh. And the um, San Francisco 49er ownership. Yeah, maybe, maybe less of a draw, but it'll be for some people. But, you know, nothing's permanent in football. And there is something about staying forever. It's too easy for me to argue to like, you know, give Isaac a clean slate. Let the sorting hat choose for Isaac himself. Let him deploy his own sorting hat. But there's something, oh, 
It's just hard for me to imagine like leaving leaving a team. Believe me, I've considered it with Chelsea Football Club many times for footballing and non-footballing reasons. But that that color blue, still even after the just that dross-like performance uh, in the Orlando humidity, I'm still I'm still going to follow them to the end, even with everything that's gone on at that club with their ownership and the sort of just some of this sort of terrible management, some of the awful, awful um, racist offenses caused by their fans. You just, you know, you stick with your club through thick and thin. It's just something that happens. You know, I wouldn't know this personally, but I do know, Dave, Florida Cup losses hit hard. I mean, Everton have never lost the Florida Cup, so I don't never. I don't know. I do no. know they cause you to have you know, almost. A, a, what would have happened? If, what would have happened if Everton had lost the Florida Cup, Rog? I, it can't be hypothetical about history, David. <laughs> what, what, what would, would the Second World War have ended quicker if if the plot against Hitler had worked? We'll never know. But Newcastle fans, I do feel for them. I do. I, I, I want to be clear. To you. The, the city of Newcastle, way up there in the north, has suffered so bloody much. Uh, at the end of the 20th century, like Liverpool, economically, culturally, politically in the post-industrial age, really was left to rot by Thatcher where she destroyed the mining unions and the coal pits closed and the traditions were just ploughed over with little plan to really save the region or the entire North and football in that city. And I hope, dear listeners, you'll get the chance to go to Newcastle. It is just a jewel of a city way up there. And the football stadium, St. James's Park, is right in the centre of town where most cities have the cathedral. Have you, have you been to Newcastle, David? Yeah, yeah, a lot. It was one of my, almost went to university there, actually. It was one of my major stops on the way up on the train from London to Edinburgh. You stop in Newcastle. I had friends who went to the university there, <sighs> played played tennis, ran against them several times. Massive nights out there, massive. I, I, love, I love Newcastle, one of my favourite places in, in Britain. And that stadium is like the cathedral. It really is fitting. That's where the people of this town have truly gone to worship the greats. And there's so much history and tradition at that club. Jackie Milburn, Kevin Keegan, Alan Shearer and more, so many more. And that club has been utterly violated by previous owner Mike Ashley, who acted like a callous slumlord. And I think that's an important part of this whole experience and this whole narrative, because in comes Saudi Arabia, promising to love and care for a region that has just been crapped on as a region, as a you know, as a footballing team by their own owner. And I do understand how so many fans, I mean, football fandom, we've talked about this countless times on the show, is, is emotional and not rational. And with the arrival of Saudi Arabia, you feel the echoes of past glory. You, you hear that sense of nostalgia, the muscle kicks in, the muscle memory of generations past, the family members past, many of whom are not living, is rekindled. You're willing to revel in and welcome, even though rationally, Rationally, your third shirt this season, your Saudi Arabian national team tribute makes completely clear that the Saudis are doing this not out of the kindness of their hearts. They're doing this as a political, geopolitical power move. Newcastle are being used to conjure images of a Saudi Arabian nation as your fans delirium behind the goal when when there's an incredible moment. As They're, they're, they're essentially co-opting your fan culture to make us think of Saudi Arabia not as bone sores or political murder or human rights abuse. It's easier actually to see it with live golf because that's so bloody brazen. But I do believe their use of football for sports washing is even more bloody dangerous because 
football administrators in their greed, let's say, and their idiocy and their lack of due diligence have just invited them right into the belly of the game, the heart of it, given them the greatest assets without really thinking through any of the aftershocks. Never mind the media, never mind the long term. I mean, medium term. We're about to watch a World Cup in Qatar, for God's sakes. That's the background in terms mm. of what I'd say for you mm. and Isaac. And I can't tell you what to do, Jordan. Football is ultimately about shared memories across generations. So I do understand the temptation for you and Isaac. Every fan almost has to come to their own decision, their own reckoning. And so I'd say Isaac has got to make his own decision. And he's only, according to your letter, four months old. So don't you think we should give him at least another two months, David, just to be fair? Yeah, exactly. He needs some time uh, to figure it out. All of this, Rog, because this isn't just a football thing. This is not just football administrators. We should say that both of our governments, the British Conservative government, who don't speak for you, and the American Democratic government, who don't speak for me, these are both are still dealing with Saudi Arabia and fist-bumping MBS, I think Joe Biden did last week. Like, it's a, our countries have decided to be in business with Saudi Arabia. And, you know, all of that is, is also part of the, 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 the huge backdrop of the situation as well. But I don't know how to advise Isaac. I don't know how to advise you. Uh, I'm so uh, sorry, Jordan. But you know what? Maybe, maybe Isaac can grow up and make his own decision about which football team he's going to support. By the way, I do wonder how it'd feel if Everton were taken over by such an ownership group, you know, because we did sever ties with our oligarch backup, um, Usmanov. Um, not out of our own choice, I imagine. I imagine his having every asset seized kind of forced Everton's hand. I do believe I'd stop supporting them, to be honest, because I do support Everton with my heart, my soul. But I'm supporting ultimately the values of the club. That's what Everton are to me, the tradition, the values, what they stand for. Winning is not, I mean, it's clearly not. I mean, Everton aren't, they don't win much. That's not what I watch for. It's the values of the club. And if the owners were so averse to those values, Everton to me would not be, there wouldn't be Everton anymore. But every fan has got to make their own decision. I'm always struck, by the way, by Noel Gallagher on his visit to the panic room to talk about Man City, who were a disaster, a wonderful disaster for decades before they became this ripple muscle superpower. And his, his rationale, he said, we suffered and we deserve this, the glory, the potency for all that we suffered. He actually saw a connection between the two, an almost religious connection between the suffering and the reward in the afterlife. So there are other ways to think about this other than just the way I do. And I'd love to know, Jordan, where you come out. I'm genuinely, genuinely fascinated. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far mm -hmm. in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era? <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I would, in the plumber days? 27-year-old Shea would give Bob Cousy the f***ing business. <laughs> He's not guarding me. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are 
back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the best. Each week, Shay and I are combing through all of the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling ones, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Six Trophies ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Uh, Rog, in, uh, in other news, well, transfer news here, your mate Jesse Lingard has only gone and signed for Nottingham Forest. Cannot wait to watch that team play in the Premier League this season. Yes, yeah, signed for my other mate, Dave Murphy, Nottingham Forest, American CEO, fantastic human being who has been making moves in this preseason signing. Jay Ling's on the free. Another player used MLS as a decoy to leverage a deal elsewhere. Nottingham Forest, a one-year contract for a reported up to $140,000 a week in wages, which is really up there in that locker room at Forest. It's going to be fascinating to see how he adapts, not only to regular football, David, which he's barely played in the last 12 months, but also to the instant expectation that he's got a score regularly, consistently. He's got a carrier team for whom he's earning so much more than almost everybody around him. 11th new signing on a permanent or loan status at Forest this summer. So a lot of transition, but he's definitely going to be the key one, right? Forest are going to go very much as Jalings goes. Yeah, key and desperate to make um, Gareth Southgate's World Cup squad. You know, and if he can lift this team on his shoulders, you know, England desperately need a player who can connect, you know, in, well, desperately need a player in the attacking midfield area. And Lingard, you know, still has a lot to give for club and country. Yeah, this is going to be a psychological test as much as it is one of talent because Lings has definitely, definitely undoubtedly got a lot um, of that. And I've got to believe Steve Cooper, the Forest manager, shrewd, deeply intelligent human being, must believe that he can bring out the best in this gen. There's actually, though, an incredible TikTok in which a fan uh, just posted Nottingham Forest being 16 points from safety, but Jay Lings has just scored his first goal of the season, in which the gent unleashes all of the sellies, the blowing the clarinet, <laughs> the putting on the shades, the unleashing the Jay Lings fingers, and it all felt too painful and distinctly possible. But I just say Godspeed, Jesse Lingard, who is a fantastic human being, and I am rooting for you, you beauty. One of the low-key storylines heading into this Premier League season, Roger, is how competitive our American, American Player of the Year uh, award is actually going to be this upcoming season. It turns out my side squeeze, Crystal Palace, the Eagles, they are leaning into their American heritage forged by none other than Greg Berhalter. <laughs> Looks like they're about to add defender Chris Richards. Yeah, Americans making moves. Congratulations to Chris Richards, a fantastic gent, 22-year-old from Birmingham, Alabama, Poised to be announced imminently as Crystal Palace's latest signing, a $10.3 million reported move. Wow. Drafted him from Bayern Munich. Going to be fascinating to watch him adapt to the physicality of the Premier League. And I'm sorry to break it to your listeners. The greatest moment of the season may already have happened. Crystal Palace facing Leeds in their preseason tour in Australia. Jordan Ayew 
colliding with Tyler Adams. There was a kick out. Tyler squared up to IU and gave him the old Clint Dempsey, you don't know where I'm from, dog, treatment. It was it was amazing to watch, Dave. I guess for every Leeds fan, it must have been like, oh my God, that's proper Leeds. We don't back down. And every Leeds fan I know I've spoken to was like, yeah, we were a bit nice and a bit soft down the stretch last season. It is it is amazing to see that gent step up. And I'm not a lip reader, but I do believe Tyler was saying, as per GFOP, Abdi McGeary, who tweeted, are you, sir, familiar with Duchess County? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Dutchess County, Nagadotchess, Texas, very, very similar places, Roger. If you have questions for Tyler about how he's adapting to Premier League life in general and Leeds in particular, uh, call them in at 646-450-9472 and we will have him answer them in the next episode of Road to the Cup, powered by Volkswagen, which tapes soon. OK, Roger, before we close, we've got to get an Everton update. How are you feeling about the preseason? I'll use Frank Lampard's. Uh, words after watching Everton get torn apart, eviscerated, humiliated, Natalie Imbrugliard by Minnesota United, 4-0, and becoming possibly the first team in American history to be relegated from MLS <laughs> in the process. Frank said after the game, there is a void. And when Frank Lampard used the word void, he thought he was begging for signings and improvements, honestly. I think he just glimpsed the heart of the club and found the void, the abyss that we've all just been staring into all this time. But to say this after being bare bottom <laughs> spanked by Minnesota United, Davo, first of all, isn't rule one of football never, ever, ever to play an entire state? It's hard. Just don't do Although it. Although they have won the cup of an entire state. So maybe, maybe the two are Getting related. a bit cocky. I mean, Everton, if you're listening, you can play DC taxation without representation but not not a state never again not even wyoming not even louisiana just stop just stop i mean we did go home and finally score the first goals of our preseason. it took us three games to get there we beat championship side blackpool 4-2 which augurs wow, well, well for the two times we'll most probably play them next season delhi scored twice to mastiagony of his comedy close range miss against adrian heath's loons and everton fans are just howling howling for more transfers where are they other than the one free transfer king james tarkovsky no richarlison replacement in sight and the truth is Davo, you need money for transfers right well that would help or something to trade maybe some real estate maybe some nfts something it's a problem um, I mean, it's pretty clear that our owner, and I use his words loosely, Farhad Mashiri, Sean of the financial support, mentioned this earlier, of his, quote, <clears throat> business partner, Alicia Usmanov, the oligarch who every single country immediately and correctly decided, oh, it's totally fine to grab all of that one's assets. Yeah, Mashiri is just a gark is the problem. He doesn't have the ollie around him anymore. Yeah, we're not, I'm not even sure he's got status, but <laughs> without Usmanov, we lost instantly 60% of our sponsorship revenue, our sugar daddy, we are totally broke. And unless a new backer arrives, the cavalry are probably not coming. This reminds me, we talked about how Chelsea are reminding you of 2015. David, this all reminds me of the summer of 2011. We just started podding. And Everton, you know, we're all howling for incoming transfers. There were none until the season's brink. And in came Royston Drente and Dennis Strakalursi. Do you remember those days? Oh, uh, these Strak. 
They're yeah. Two of my favourite Everton players ever, actually. Bite your arm off for Dennis Strakalursi. Just, I mean, if if Flotsam and Jepsen were a football player and we brought him with coins that we found down the musty side of the couch in the basement, I almost yearn for the nostalgia of those days because... God, the Premier League's so much more competitive and ruthless now. Our next game, Friday's match for peace friendly against Dinamo Kiev. A feel-good game to raise funds for humanitarian efforts in Ukraine. I think Dinamo Kiev believe they're coming to raise humanitarian efforts in Everton. They feel sorry for us. <laughs> I think they do. They're like, oh, God bless. We thought we had it hard, Everton fans. Also... It's going to feel even worse when we get thumped. And unless new money, new backers, new owners, new investors come in, feels like, and you tell me this, David, is there any other possibility other than picking up where we left off last season, dancing with death, a.k.a. relegation? Can you see right now any other fate for us? Uh, I think it's going to be hard. Of the teams who stayed in the Premier League, it seems like Everton have done less than anyone to improve their squad. And you look at the teams that are coming up and they're all working hard to improve their, uh, improve their squads before the season. So, yeah, I think it's going to be difficult. I think the start of the season for Frank Lampard's Everton, because the only thing that can lift it is mood, is energy, Rog. Um, I'm bothered that Frank Lampard has acknowledged the void. I can't yep. believe he's seen the void. You've never, the been word. So no- You've never been so known as when he acknowledged the void. You're like, oh my God, he sees the void too. We're not meant to but, mention the void, I Frank. Know. Don't mention the void. <laughs> but he, um, but yeah, they've got to start well because the only thing you can build on momentum, you know, winning is contagious, Rog, and it starts to make people feel good. Um, so I think the start of the season for Everton Football Club is going to be really, really important. Void deniers, you'll never sing that. You know, God, here's what I've come to realise ahead of the season. I mean, God, even Fulham. I watched Anthony Robinson do his card tricks on Twitter. I was like, oh, we're effed. They're going to come above us. they got magic. For the thousands of Blues fans who listen to this podcast, I don't know if this is going to be soothing or helpful, but here's how I've come to think about this season ahead. I read this week the immensely talented duo, the Island Boys, are actually bankrupt. I know, I was shocked too. Wow. Talent so... So talented. Yes, singular, beloved across the world for the joy they've brought to to across the globe with their music, but not a penny between those two poet brothers. I think Everton, Davo. (laughs) I've got to realise, Everton are the Island Boys, Davo. Yeah, the Island Boys may also be the void, but yeah. yeah. And when, when, you, when, you, when you see the world like this, where Everton are just Island Boys, the lyric, they just be staring at the sun. Nummies are fool gazing. I'm like the pool where I'm staying. Analyse those lyrics, because I believe they've got a deeper meaning, even a truth. And as the season approaches, our fate can be determined by the Everton fan that can decode the subtlety of that song. Obviously, Everton's still up for, if not up for sale, there's definitely a lot of rumours around various ownership groups trying to acquire them. Um, and, you know, may that all start developing quickly uh, before uh, they get too far behind this season, Roger. Yeah, we'll probably end up signing the Island Boys and solving two problems. <laughs> <laughs> We've got presents on each wing now. <laughs> so happier uh, footballing themes. Uh, the women's Euros, which I'm just loving. Oh, 
man, it is. It is. It's just an absolute feast. We are blessed to be watching this. France needed a Perisse penalty to overcome an organised, defiant defending champion Netherlands whose goalkeeper Van Domselaar was transcendent. And I will say the quality of goalkeeping in this tournament has been one of its true hallmarks. The Netherlands managed by our friend ex-Thorn Mark Parsons to part with heads held high. The French managed by the friction-loving Corinne Diacra, beat their long-standing quarter-final hoodoo. Now they've done that. How far can they go? As we have a semi-final battle royale of heavyweights, eighth in the world, England play number two Sweden, a team who are COVID-infested, but they've not lost to England since 1984. Fifth-ranked Germany line up against numero trois France. The teams who have really been the most potent in the tournament are the ones standing at the end. And what makes it so intriguing... All four have struggled at times, yet persevered. And the big intrigue for England, who had to come from behind in extra time to drop a wounded but ferocious Spain, is whether to drop leading goal scorer Ellen White, who has gone utterly cold all tournament, replaced her with Manchester United, former North Carolina Tar Heel sensation Alicia Russo. England have options, they have depth, they have belief. We're seeing a talented squad go next level with a coaching change from Phil Neville to Serena Wiegmann. The team now play a proactive, intelligent kind of football that brings out their yeah. potential, Davo. And really, their potential and their reality have never been closer to your nation's dreams. Play beautiful football. Um, uh, I love watching it. And you're right, Sweden, um, you know, have some issues with their squad because of, uh, because of uh, illness and injury. But this is going to be a very, very tough and hard-fought semi-final, without a doubt. Tuesday, Wednesday, bring it on. Okay, Rog, can we get a toast to close this podcast? Yes, I want to raise this Jägermeister, this bolt of human emotion in the shot glass to Gareth Bale, who scored his first goal for LAFC in only his second appearance off the bench in the 65th. He struck within 20 minutes, charging in on goal from the right and then thrashing the ball home, albeit taking advantage of some slightly dodgy goalkeeping. But Bale didn't care. He reeled away with the joy of a gent who scored his first club goal since August 2021. A gent who's taken to California, really like Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo. May that goal be the first of many. Courage. Okay, Rog, you can follow us on Twitter at Men and Blazers, at Embassy Davis, at Rog Bennett on Instagram, at Men and Blazers, at Embassy Davis, uh, on Facebook with the Men and Blazers, on Twitch, twitch.tv uh, slash Men and Blazers. We're on YouTube. You can see a video version of this very podcast. Uh, subscribe to that. Make sure you're not missing any of our content. Uh, also on Snapchat, search Men and Blazers. Our website is meninblazers.com. You can get our merchandise there. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk Rog. War pig! Was that a Rabona? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To Tweed. Abrigado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. Love you, Island boys. <laughs> hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or... You can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. 
Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking, what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami? There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.